Hello. Awesome. So I'd like to start off and I'd like to first uh, thank my parents for being here today. It's very important to me that they're here and uh, also like to thank Pastor John uh, for this opportunity to come speak to you all today. Uh, I'd like to start off by reading uh, James 1, 2 through 4, if we have it. Excellent. All right, so consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's pray for Dan. Lord, we come before you today, and we thank you uh, for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, and your kindness towards us. My prayer today, Lord, is that the word that you have spoken to me will go forth and be life to all that are here today. In your wonderful name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. So how many of you uh, watch sports on TV? Like you maybe watch, you watch the Cowboys from time to time, you watch the Texas Rangers. Um, how many of you have ever played a sport before? You ever played soccer, football? Now, I, perhaps you may think, oh, why are you asking me about sports? It might seem like a dumb question, but anybody who has ever played a sport knows that you don't just show up on game day. You don't just get to show up on game day. I'm like, well, I've got uh, I've got some soccer cleats. I'm ready to ready to play. Like you can, but as a coach, I'm going to let you know you won't be able to play. Um, what, what what is often unseen in in sports is the process it takes to get to game day. It's usually a lot of early mornings for me. Like I'm a coach. I, I coach a football at Red Oak High School, and I coach the freshmen. And our practice is at seven o'clock in the morning, early. Or it's hard to love kids, but you know we have we have to anyways. Um, and it, it, it's a lot, and it's it's trying to because when you're working with with students, when you're working with people, people are at a different place sometimes than where you're at, and especially with freshmen, they're trying to figure out their identity and they're trying to figure out where they land in the school. And spoiler alert, it's at the bottom, uh, but they, they're still trying to figure all that out, and. We had our first game uh, on Thursday, and we, we lost the heartbreak. We lost by two points. And in the middle of the first half, uh, we get stopped on offense, and we're forced to punt. And my, my kicker is this short little soccer kid. He's a skinny little thing. He comes up to me at the beginning. He's like, Coach, all I want to do is just kick. All I want to do is just kick. I don't want to have to hit or be hit. And so, yeah, so he didn't want to be hit. And um, so he, he, gets the, he gets the snap. And the snap is bad. And whenever a snap is bad in football, your play is basically messed up from that point on. So he, he fumbles the ball. And when you're punting the ball on offense, no one's blocking for you. Because they're all trying to go downhill and hit the person that you're trying to punt to. So he's fumbling the ball. And this short little kid, he, he's scared. He, he reacts in a way I didn't teach him to react. He, he tries to run the ball. And so he's got 11 of these big boys coming downhill trying to tackle him. And he ends up trying to run onto our sideline, and I'm yelling, I'm like, kick the ball, kick the ball. And he's like, he's just determined he's going to run it. And he gets knocked out of bounds. And so I, this is my third year coaching, so I've seen some things I, 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 I'm not shocked by much right now. And I'm working with this first year coach. This is first year teaching, first year coaching. And he's getting in the kid's face. He's like yelling at him. He's like, why didn't you throw the ball? Why didn't you punt the ball? What's wrong with you? And I just, I just kind of pull the kid. So I'm like, I got this, I got this. I, I turn on like Dakota. Now, why didn't you kick the ball? And he's trying to give me this excuse, like, oh, I'm afraid. I'm just like, hey, look, listen to me, listen to me. I want you, if that ever happens again, to kick the ball. <laughs> and see, what the first-year coach didn't realize that I realize now is that our entire season is a process. Like, 
This is week one. We still have nine more weeks. I don't expect my kicker to do that week three, week four, week seven. I don't expect him. I understand in my third year of coaching that kids are in a process. And that processes lead to a product at the end of it. And sometimes it's frustrating. But there is a process. So today I want to talk to you about the process in our own spiritual lives. Because like sports, uh, in our spiritual lives we have a process. And, but in our spiritual lives, we have to realize that like here in our own culture, we like things instant. We like things now. Like you can, you know, I can pick up my phone right now and I can go to uh, Google, I can go to Amazon, I can order something and have it instantly. I can go to iTunes and watch any movie I want, TV show, any song, I can have it immediately. See, we're so used to things instantly. That's why if you enjoy drinking instant coffee, you can have it now instead of waiting for some barista to make it, you can have it now. And our culture is obsessed with having everything now. And that might work for some things. Like if you want to watch an on-demand movie, you can watch an on-demand movie. And that works for some things. But spiritual growth is not on-demand. And it's not instant. Spiritual growth requires a thing that I grew up hating called patience. In fact, my dad used to tell me, he's like, patience is a virtue call. You just got to be patient. You got to be patient. You got to be patient. And I remember when I was a kid, we used to go on trips. And, you know, like if you're a kid, you're always asking, oh, are we there yet? So I, I'd bug my parents. I'd be like, oh, are we there yet? And my dad's like, Paul, we haven't even left the driveway yet. Like we still got a long process to go. And... We, I know in my own life, patience is a spiritual gift because I'm a naturally impatient person. I like things now. I like things instant. And that's, some, that's an area that God has grown me through. So I want to go now to 1 Samuel 16, 10 through 13, if we can. And it says, this is the story of David. So Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, the prophet. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse says, no, there's another. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. He'd better hurry up. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel leaves. You see, David was anointed to be king when he was about 12, 13 years old. As the Bible says, it's not clear on it, but it says that he's a boy. So he's no more than the age of 13. And see, what, what starts is when he's anointed to be king starts a process that will take about 17 years until the product is finally there. David waits 17 years, and then we skip to 2 Samuel, verse 5. It says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on the military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. Verse 3 says, And all the elders of Israel came to David. They made a covenant with him at Hebron, and they anointed him yet again king over Israel. Verse 4 reads, David was 30 years old when he became king. So he's anointed when he's 17 years old, but he becomes king when he's 30. And if you've read Psalms, you know that David's journey 
The process he has to undergo to become king is not an easy one. Yes, he does kill Goliath in this process, but he's also kicked out of the kingdom of Israel by his father-in-law and his best friend's father, King Saul, who wants to kill him. In fact, he flees because Saul is literally throwing literal spears at him, trying to kill him. And David's like, I think it's time to go ahead and leave because for fear of his life. You see, there's a lot of in-between between him being anointed and him becoming king. There's a lot of moments where he's alone in a cave and it's just him and God. And he's crying out to God. He's crying out that his enemies would be destroyed. He's crying out to God because he's lonely and he's, he's hurt. And if you think about it, David really doesn't do anything wrong for the most part of the story. He served Saul faithfully. He served God faithfully. Yet he's on the run for his life. I mean, after all, he's supposed to be the next king. But he's on the run right now, fearing for his life. You see, at times, processes are not punishments. David's not in this moment being punished. But he's, the, God is, what he's doing is like, God is like a surgeon. And he's cutting away all the pieces of David that would be unfit for him to be king when he's 30 years old. He's learning how to deal with offense. There's a moment where he's alone with Saul in a cave. Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. And David's there with all his men. And his men are like, why don't you kill Saul? This is it. And David's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to kill him. He understands that he's in a process and that he understands that one day he will be king. So he's not going to do anything while he's in that process to delay the process, to delay the product. He's being faithful. I think to myself, what, if, what happens if he was in his mid-20s? Because I'm 27. What if, what, if I gave, what if he gave up? He's my age. What if he gave up when he's 27 years old? It's like, this is too much. I've done nothing wrong. I'm supposed to be king. Why am I not king yet? What if he just gave up? Just decided in the cave to kill Saul. Or he decided he wasn't going to go back to Israel. But the story doesn't end that way. We know that he does experience his, his hardships. But he eventually becomes king. And more importantly, his lineage will go on to lead into Jesus. Because he didn't give up in the process. He was faithful to the end. He saw the product come. There's a pastor up north. His name is Pastor Stephen Furtick. Uh, I enjoy listening to him from time to time. He has a quote. He says, the dream that God gave inside of you is free. It's free. But to see it pass, there will be a price to pay. See, David, he knew he was king. That's his dream. The price he had to pay was a lot of nights, a lot of days on the run from Saul. And in that area, the wilderness, as it says, it's desert. So he's in the desert at times by himself, which is him and God. And God at this time is shaving everything off David that he doesn't need so that one day he can become an effective king. You see, at times like me, I'm, I'm impatient. We're impatient. Sometimes we want things now. But see, God works through patience. There's a pastor I heard one time. He says, we like to microwave people. We like to have them instantly good, instantly where they're at. But God enjoys slow cooking them. Slowly in the crock pot at a good 350 degrees all day. That, that's where God wants. That's how God works. He uses patience. And sometimes in our own lives, and sometimes you see it in the lives of people around you, we want to skip the process and go straight to the product. We want it now. But God doesn't operate that way. And some might think, why am I in a process? I've done nothing wrong. But like I said, the process isn't punishment. If we can go now to Matthew 4, 1 through 11, this is right after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. It says, then Jesus was led into the wilderness 
by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. The wilderness in this part of the world is in fact a desert. So he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Obviously he's hungry. He's in the middle of a desert. I don't know. I, I can't tell you the last time I skipped a meal in 40 days and then been in the desert. But that is, that, is a good, that is a good trial that he has to go undergo. And then it says, so after these 40 days, then the enemy comes against him. So he's, Jesus is hungry. He's tired. He's in a desert. And then the enemy comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And he's about to reference Psalm 91 when he says, for it is written, he will command his angels charge concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. Verse number eight, again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, all this I give to you, all of it, if you would just bow and worship me. Jesus said to him, get away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil leaves and the angels come and attend him. It's important to note that after this, after this time of 40 days, then Jesus begins his ministry. He doesn't immediately go into it. He go, undergoes a process. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he experienced the same temptations, the same trials that you and I experience. That is why he's our standard, because he was perfect, because he stood fast and he never sinned and he never gave up. He is our hope when we undergo processes. He's our hope when we undergo trials of many kinds. See, God is in the process, and he works through the process. And if, if Jesus, the Son of God, is going to undergo processes, you better believe we are going to undergo processes as well. But our hope is Jesus, that if he made it through, and he's at the right hand of the throne of God, then he is interceding for us on our behalf. And he is helping us in our struggles and in our trials. And sometimes when you're undergoing processes there's a little bit of what we call growing pains you know when you're a kid and you're like growing like from one inch to two inches or however tall you are now like like Blake works like underwent like a huge growth or he was like this tall now he's like a jolly green giant but I want to turn now back to James 1 2 through 4 it says consider it pure joy my brothers when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith in the processes produces perseverance, patience. Let that patience, let that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. You're going to undergo some growing pains. You're going to undergo some, some times where God is knocking parts of your personality, perhaps some things off of you that, that are not of him so that he can replace those things with good things in your life. I remember my first year of teaching and coaching, I was at a small school called Palmer ISD, and it was a really, it was a long year. It was a really long year. I was coaching three sports. I was there from, during football season, I was there from like six in the morning to like eight o'clock at night, Monday through Friday. Um, sometimes later on Friday nights, I would be there till like two or three a.m. doing film and, and laundry. And it was a long, it was a long year, but that year was 
on purpose. There was a process that I underwent that entire year that knocked a lot of things off of me that made me a better coach, a better teacher, and just a better person. And God uses those things to grow us. If you've ever seen the process of it, like when people make diamonds, there's pressure that's added to the diamond. When gold is refined, it's hot. It's, it's uncomfortable, but you get this little, it's like a little rock and they turn it into gold. Or they take this little rock and they turn it into a diamond. There's pressure added. There's a process that's added to turn something that is kind of rough around the edges into something that's beautiful. And when I'm at Palmer, I'm working with people that were very hard to work with. They were very, uh, they just, they like to be, be little people around them. They like to do all sorts of things. And I remember specifically, it was, it was after my seventh period, which was my last class of the day, the principal comes in and he doesn't know much about me. He just, he's, he's listening to things that he shouldn't be listening to. And he comes into my classroom and he's like, you don't know how to teach and you don't know how to coach. You should just quit. And I didn't even have a chance to defend myself. And there was a coach that I worked with. His name, his name was Paul Owen. We just called each other Coach Owen, Coach Dominic, because we both had the same first names. And Coach Owen was a former pastor who had decided to go into the coaching field because of the retirement. Um, he wanted to be able to retire. And this guy, while I'm there, he's very much Paul the Apostle in my life, and I'm very much Timothy during this whole year. He's, he's helping me. He's encouraging me. He's, he's speaking life into me at times, even when... The, everyone around is kind of speaking dead, like they're telling me I don't know how to teach. He's telling me, you do know how to teach. I've seen you. Do. You're good. You're just, you're new. And at the end of that year, I end up resigning in February, and I finish out the year and letting them know I'm not coming back. I'm going to look for another job. But while I was there, the head coach I worked for was very much like a King Saul. He was very much somebody that liked to throw, not literal spears, because he'd be arrested, but you know, like he threw like insults. I call them insults. And, and he threw a lot of things my way and other coaches did the same thing, but I never reacted to it. I, I, in that moment, in that time, I was like, I just started praying and being in the word. I was like, Lord, teach me everything I need to know in this season. So I don't have to repeat these lessons later on. And I knew I was in a process and I knew that one day, because sometimes you're going to go through things called deserts. The ancient Israelites had to go through a desert, but on the other side was the promised land. They had to go through some trials and some temptations. And I'm going through Palmer, and I called it the desert, because what it led to was where I'm at now, which is Red Oak, which is a better school district. It pays better. It, my hours are better. I work with a lot better people. And I only got to that place because in the process, I was consistent. I was like, Lord, teach me to pray for these people, even though they're hurting me. Teach me to love them, even though they're hurting me. And I fully believe that God opened the door at Red Oak because I didn't react back to it. That when they insulted me, I didn't turn around and insult them. So I learned in Palmer how to deal with offense, to not throw it back when it's thrown your way, to just leave it and to pray and move on. Because when you pray for somebody, you release the offense that you have for that person. It's, it's awesome. You, like, you might think, well, you don't know, they, they're cussing me out. Well, pray for them. And the offense, I promise, will leave. And you also have to remember that even this times that there's power in the process for you. God is with you. And that nothing formed against you shall prosper. Anything that the enemy sends your way will not have its day. It will be destroyed. And we've been called to be more than conquerors in the process. If we can go now to uh, Romans 8, 31 through 39, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things when you're dealing with offense and trials? If God is for you, who then can be against you? 
He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. He will not also along with him graciously give all things to us. And let's get down to verse 37. It says, no, in all these things, in all these things, in your trials, in your circumstances, in your growing pains, in all those things, you've been called to be more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't give up in the process. Keep going and keep believing. Trust in it. Consistency is vital in the process. At the beginning of this year, I, I set out to like try to lose weight. I used to, I got really out of shape. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to get in shape. I'm going to try it out. And what I found is that consistency while you're in the process is powerful. If you can do it, because not everybody can see that I lose weight, but not everybody was there at 530 in the morning when I went to the gym or when I went after work. And just like when you're watching sports, you might see the Cowboys play on Sundays, but you probably weren't there in the Monday, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday, the Friday when they're watching film, when they're practicing. You weren't, you, the process is not always seen. But it is powerful. And the process isn't meant to break you. It's meant to build you up. It's meant to break certain things off of you. So that other things can be built up in your life. And tests, like how many of you enjoy tests? Like I, I enjoy tests, like history tests. But math tests, I was like, I might drop out of school. Like I can't, I hate math. And so, but I realized that tests weren't initially designed for me to fail. Contrary to what my students believe, they're like, oh, coach, why do we got to take a test? I'm just going to fail. And I was like, they're not meant for you to fail. They're meant for you to succeed in. You just didn't study or you just didn't prepare for it. I am convinced that the things that you believe God for will come to happen. They will come to pass according to his will on earth as it is in heaven. Like when I was a kid, I used to pray. I was like, Lord, I want to be like Spider-Man. I want to have Spider-Man's power. <laughs> Obviously, we're still believing for that. But, you know, it, did, it didn't come to pass because it's not according to his will. It's not according to his will. But there are things like when I believe God for a new job, that is according to his will. And it did come to pass. It did come to happen. I know there, it is hard when you're in the middle of the process to pray for rain when you don't see any signs. If we can go now to, I believe it's First Kings, uh, Elijah is praying. He initially prayed that there would be no rain. And then he's, he's coming back around. He's praying for rain. And if we can skip down a verse. So he, he tells Ahab to go off and to eat and drink. And Elijah then climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. He bends to the ground and puts his face, his face between his knees. And he starts to pray. And what he does is, is he has a servant with him. And he sends his servant running up and down this hill six times. I'm sure about the fifth time the, the servant's like, man, like, can it just rain? I'm tired. I'm tired of running up here and Elijah's praying, but I don't know if it's happening or not. So he goes up there. Six times he says there's nothing there. And six times Elijah tells him, go back. On the seventh time, Elijah tells him to go back up. And Elijah prays again. And the seventh time, the servant comes down and says, I see it. I see it. It's a, it's a cloud. It's as small as a man's hand, but it's coming. So Elijah then tells him to come down and he tells to go tell Ahab that the rain is coming. You see, in your life, you might think, I, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed to see things happen. I prayed for a new job. I prayed uh, for someone to come to Jesus. But there's a process that's undergoing. And sometimes you might think, oh, the process is too long. I encourage you today to keep going, 
to keep praying. You might have prayed six times, pray seven. You might have run up the hill six times, run up a seven time. And it might start small. It might be very small, but it will start to expand. It will come. Keep looking. One of my favorite stories to tell, well, there's parts of it that are favorite, there's parts of it that are sad. Uh, I want to tell you a story about my friend that I met when I was uh, a freshman in high school. Uh, my best friend at the time, some of you may know him, he's a goofy dude named Chad Wirtz. He invited one of my other goofy friends that I know, uh, named Matt Fellman, to church when we were, we were both freshmen in high school. All of us were. And when I first met Matt, he dressed like a thug. Like he had like baggy pants, like a wife beater shirt on, a weird beanie. He's this, he's this goofy dude. And he smelled like smoke when I first met like just drenched in the, in, the, in the smell of secondhand smoke. Yeah. And when I first met him, him and I are complete opposites. I'm, I tend to be more, contrary to where I'm at now, I tended back then to be very quiet, very shy. I didn't, like, didn't want to talk in front of people. He's the opposite. He's rambunctious. He's brash. He's outgoing. Like, he's completely different. And when I first met him, funny story is that we ended up hating each other when we first knew each other. Like, because our, our, our personalities were completely different. We hated each other. Like, there were moments where I left his presence and I was like, I can't stand this guy. I hate him. And, but it was a process. It's a process. When I first met him, he comes to church. He's, he's bringing in a lot of hurt. There's a lot of darkness in Matt at this time. When this was 2004. This was 13 years ago. I'm old. Um, and, and, uh, I'll have a great, okay, that's fine, I'm having a mold. Um, he has a lot of hurt, he has a lot of burdens and, and weights on his shoulder that he's coming in. See, Matt's parents, they're not Christian, he does, he wasn't raised in a Christian home. His dad was an alcoholic, both of his parents were heavy smokers, that's why he smelled like smoke every time, uh, he was with us. And... What I started to see is that when he came to church because Chad, my friend Chad, invited him, he finds Jesus, and his life starts to change. It's not, and not everything happens immediately, but he, but the process has started back in 2004 when he gives his life to God. And I called him today, and I was like, "Hey, man, I, I want to use your story in my sermon." And he goes, "Yeah, absolutely," because he's like, "You're very much a part of my story." And and he goes, "I'm also preaching today too." And I was like, "Oh, that's awesome." I was like, "If you would have told him and me, if you would have set Matt and I down when we were freshmen in high school and told us." That we'd both be speaking in front of people uh, at, a, at a church. 13 years later, we probably wouldn't believe you. I wouldn't believe you because I'm really shy. And I would probably clam up and like, like run away. He, he, it would be hard to see for him because he, uh, he just wasn't where he's at now. But over time and, and throughout high school, he begins, uh, we're going to youth camps. God is delivering him of things. He's delivering me of things. And we start to grow in our friendship to where we once hated each other. And now we don't anymore. Um, but he starts to, he, he's this kid, he turns from this kid that when I first met him, he listened to this thing called death metal rap. I didn't know a thing existed, but it does. And he used to listen to really like death metal and like just a lot of darkness on him. He goes from a kid who brings in a lot of hurt and he tends to let that hurt out and hurt other people to being a man of God. He, when he graduates high school, he goes to the university, uh, there in Waxhachie called Sagu. He goes there. And he goes there for two years until God calls him to New Orleans to be part of a church plan. Yeah. And when he, uh, when he goes to New Orleans, he becomes on staff there. He becomes a youth pastor there. And, and while this is all going on, his family is experiencing a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. 
And uh, I remember he called me. He's like, hey, I need you to pray for me because my parents are thinking about divorcing. And it's hard for him because, you know, he's serving God. He's in this process. He's he's trying to grow in his faith. And it must have been hard to pray for rain and it not come because his parents end up getting divorced. But Matt didn't give up. Matt didn't give up on his parents. And he didn't give up on his walk with God, even when bad things started to happen around him. So he goes to New Orleans. He becomes the youth pastor. And he ends up uh, meeting a really nice Christian girl. And they end up getting married. And she's like the perfect answer to him because he's very outgoing. And she's very like, let's calm down. And which is what he needs. Um, but through this process that God is taking him on, he ends up reaching his parents. He ends up reaching his father. His father is now off of alcohol and, and cigarettes and has been for a long time. And he's a completely different dad than when I first met him. And that's all because Matt prayed. He had us praying for him. And, and, the, and it was a process. It wasn't immediate. And it, it, took, it took a couple years. But Matt didn't give up in the process. He didn't give up. He kept praying for rain. He kept praying to see the walls come down. And they finally did. Matt, Matt ends up moving back. It was about a year and a half ago. He moves back to Texas uh, with his wife. He lives over in McKinney, which is the other side of Dallas. And while his dad has turned his life around, his mom hadn't. Um, and she was dealing with a lot of things that she needed to give to God. But Matt was faithful in the process. He was having me praying for him and all of us that we were all in home groups together. He had all of us that were friends from high school. We were all praying and believing. And it didn't happen immediately. See, about nine years ago, his mom had a health scare where the doctors were like, she's going to die. And she wasn't saved. But she survives. And then about four years ago, she has another health scare where the doctors are like, she's going to die. She ends up making it and not dying. And she's not saved. But about a year and a half ago, when Matt moves back to Texas, his mom decides that she's going to stop running from God. And she gave up everything that she had once uh, been addicted to everything that she had once tried to throw a life with she just gave it all to Jesus and she gave her heart to God and it was a complete 180 of the lady that I first met uh, 13 years ago and she completely changed who she was she started going to church, she started going to small groups, she started going to um, just like rehabs and everything and that's it. It, we it was the Saturday before we left for youth camp this year. I got a text from him telling me that his mom had a brain aneurysm and that they had to rush her to the hospital and they had to do an emergency surgery on her brain to drain some of the blood out of her head. And the, the surgery up here went, up, went as well as they could have hoped, but they had to go through her groin and when they came out, they couldn't stop the blood. So they had to put her in a coma. And I'm praying for him, I'm believing for him, and we're, we're believing that she's going to be miraculously healed. And I called him the Saturday, the Sunday before we left uh, for you, and I was, like, I was like, man, if you need me, I'll, I'll stay behind and I'll come up there and be with you. And he told me nobody, like, you need to go be with those kids. It was Tuesday, um, while we were at UCAMP, I got uh, a text telling me that they had to make the decision around him and his family for years. And I had been praying and I had been believing too. And it was Thursday they told me that I got a text from his wife saying that she had, she had passed away. She went home to be with Jesus. And I came back home and I'm talking with Matt and I'm like, man, I'm sorry all this happened. I wish I could have been here with you. And he just he tells me, he's like, 
Really, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for God's mercy that if this was nine years ago and she died, she wouldn't be in heaven. If this was four years ago and she died, she wouldn't be in heaven. And the powerful thing about the story is that in those years, Matt never gave up on his mom. He was there in the process with her. He was there in the process with her, praying for her, believing for her, that she would eventually come to Jesus. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that right where she's at right now is a better place than she would have been nine years ago and she would have been four years ago. And I tell you this to encourage you to not give up in the process. You might have prayed 10 years for someone to come to Jesus. Keep praying 11 years, 13 years, because it will happen. The goodness of God, God is patient. It says, the Bible says God is patient. He's patient with us. He doesn't want anyone to come to judgment. He, he's patient with us. And Matt, is, Matt was patient. And all of us are with him. We were in the process with him. And it, it was hard. There were days where I'm sure he, he prayed for it. He thought he'd see it and it didn't happen. But it started small. And then it expanded. Because not only did he change his dad's life, but he also changed his mom's life. Because he was faithful in the process with God. His younger brother, ever since his parents divorced, didn't want anything to do with his mom. He didn't want anything to do with her. And before she, before she passed, he came and made peace with her. And Thelman's brother is a very... Very big atheist. He, he doesn't. He doesn't want anything to do with anything. And what we're starting to see is a cloud in his life, and it's very small. It's very small. It starts small, but we're starting to see him have an open heart towards the Word of God. We're starting to see him have a soft heart. Where there was years where it was a stone wall, and we're starting to see now that the walls may will come down eventually. When I, there are times where Feldman's like, "I believe, I believe, I believe, my brother's going to be saved," and I'm like, "Man, I'm praying for you, but..." It's hard to see initially. So I tell you this to, to have encouragement that whatever you're facing, whatever process you're in, whatever you're dealing with, the promised land is near. All you have to keep doing is praying for rain. The Israelites had to march around Jericho six times. So they start on the first day, they march around it once. Then the second day, they march around twice. Until they're finally there on the sixth day. Spoiler, they're in a desert. So they're in the heat of the day. They're marching around a city. A city. I've never marched around a city before in the heat, thank goodness, but it's probably hard. And they're probably on the sixth day when they're marching around it six times. They might, they, they're probably tired. They're exhausted, but they keep going because they believe that they will see the walls come tumbling down and they will enter the promised land. And so on the seventh day, they wake up, they get all their gear on, and they start marching. This time, they're marching seven times around the wall. And I'm sure that they're tired. They're hungry. They're thirsty, they're ready to just be there at the product, but there's still a process that's taking place. So they march around it seven times. And the Bible says that the walls come tumbling down and all the Israelites charge into Jericho and take the city. And then from there, they enter into the promised land. And it must it's hard, because when I first met Matt, he wasn't, I'm going to just be honest, he wasn't much to look at. He wasn't like he wasn't, and I wasn't either. I was a skinny, goofy kid. He was a he was a hurtful, goofy kid. And there's been times in our in our more adult lives where where I've turned to him for help. I've been like, man, I need prayer. I need prayer. And and it's hard to it would have been hard to see when we were freshmen that this teenager I first met he wouldn't have been able to pray for me. He just wouldn't have been. He had to pray over his own life because he had all his own things to deal with. It. But the man of God he is today is somebody that can pray over me. He has prayed over me when I've undergone trials. But it was a process that got him to that place. And it's because he was faithful and he never gave up. 
And we never gave up on him, and there were some hard times, but we never gave up on him either. So I tell you that if you're believing for somebody in your life to come to Jesus, don't give up. Keep believing, keep praying. Keep praying six times and seven times and sometimes 11 times if you have to. If you're in a process and you're like, man, I've been believing God for a job, don't give up. Keep praying, keep seeking the rain day after day because it will come. The Lord says that, the Bible says in Jeremiah that he knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It might take some time to get there, but it will come. It will come to pass if you don't give up. The Bible also says that to believe and not to doubt. And you will see the promised land if you believe and you don't doubt. If you believe and you don't doubt. So sometimes you might have to say to yourself, I will see this through. I will see this process through until God's kingdom come and his will is done in my life and in the lives of those around me. And if that's you today, you're thinking, I, you know, I just need some prayer. I, I, I'm in the middle of a process. I want to pray over all of us today that God would give us strength in our process and we would not give up until we see the promised land. So if you bow our heads, we're going we're gonna to pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. We believe that you are with us even in the valley, even in the deserts, and that you are doing a new thing in our lives. You are making streams in the desert. You are changing us in the process for the better. For your plans in the process are to give us a hope and a future, and that nothing formed against us shall remain. That you are with us even unto the ends of the earth. And we thank you, Lord, once again for the futures that you are leading us towards. We thank you for your kindness, Lord, for your faithfulness once again. And in your wonderful name we pray, Jesus. Amen.